Let's read Colossians 7, or 4, 7 through 18. Colossians 4, 7 through 18. Tychicus will tell you about all my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, our fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray for a second. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that you speak to us in such a variety of ways and that your word is so rich that it has so many ways that it penetrates our hearts, that you, in your grace and wisdom, Lord, you speak to us through the lives of these people. You've spoken to this church through this whole epistle, and now as we conclude it, Lord, as we conclude this study, we pray that you would be working among us in our hearts to see your grace, to see what it is to, to serve you, to see the supremacy of Christ in all that we do as a church. We thank you and just pray that you are among us, that you are working by your spirit, Lord. So the title of this um, sermon is The Gospel Ministry Team, and it's funny because as I'm just, just uh, was here talking to people before the service and talking and praying in the back and listening to the announcements and participating in the singing, if I feel like the sermon that I'm about to preach has already been preached back to me by the service that has been going on here, because I I think this idea, this whole topic, this whole title of the ministry team of the church is something that's a a perfect and fitting conclusion as you guys are uh, running this final lap of life as a church without your senior pastor. And it's a perfect and fitting conclusion, I think, um, for all of us. There's so much here in this text, um, and there's no way that we can capture everything in one Sunday, but I'm going to do my best to, to, to pick out the best of the things that Paul is trying to tell us here. But as he's closing this letter, this letter that you guys have been studying for, for a couple of months now, so rich with truth about Jesus and who he is and how Christ's work transforms our life, such an amazing and personal 
address that Paul is giving to the readers, he closes with this interesting section, this section that is pretty different in its, in its focus, in its pace, uh, in its content from the rest of the letter. And he's kind of painting this ministry portrait, if you will, of, of all the people that are involved in his life and the ministry that he's taking part of. He's not content to just drop off the content of the truth of Jesus. Paul has heard the news, as you probably recall from your study so far, he's heard the news about this church and the churches in the area that there's been some false teaching and false ideas about Christ and, and the Christian life that have been kind of spreading, and he's trying to correct some of that in this letter, but he's not content to just correct the improper ideas. He wants to, he wants to deliver to these people a whole picture of the backstory of who he is, who are the men that he is serving along with. He wants, to, he wants the people, as they receive the truth about Christ and his supremacy in our life and how Christ is supposed to transform us, he also wants them to see who is it that is speaking to them. Who is this guy, Paul? Because they've actually never met him in person. And he wants them to have a clear picture of, of the background, of the ministry, of the backstory behind where this truth comes from, behind who the guy is who's writing these things. He wants them to know intimately. He wants them to have a sense of, of a relationship and understanding about who he is. Because the reality is that true gospel uh, fruit, true gospel work comes not only in the content, not only in the ideas of Christianity, but, but Christ is working in the world through a specific kind of ministry. Uh, through a specific kind of medium, through a specific kind of source um, of grace in the world. And it's interesting that um, most oftentimes when we talk to people who are discouraged with the church itself, uh, who are discouraged with Christianity, uh, people who are outside the church, who are hesitant to maybe come and visit or get to know um, life in the Christian church, oftentimes the reason that they are hesitant to come and to see Christ and to explore Christianity, it's not as much because of the doctrinal content or the teaching. Very oftentimes, the reason is because they've been impacted negatively by people, by churches, who have had unhealthy dynamics, unhealthy relationships, unhealthy ways that they have uh, lived out the gospel, imbalanced ways, unkind ways that people have been impacted. And so they are hesitant to give Christianity a, a chance. And, and Paul, as he finishes this letter, he wants them to see that, that grace and that truth, that the work of God about Christ in this world, it comes through a certain kind of medium, a certain kind of ministry dynamic that exists among believers. And he wants the readers who are reading this epistle to have a clear sense of what Paul is like and what the men around him and the women around him are like who are serving. Very oftentimes, this is not only a challenge, I think, for people outside the church, but also for inside the church. Uh, we struggle lots of times not um, in grasping and understanding or owning ideas or doctrinal content about Christianity or teachings of the Bible. Lots of times, the main point of struggle for us as Christians is the life of the church itself. It's when we are facing difficulties and tensions and unhealthy life dynamics within the church itself. This is actually a, a big challenge for us kind of on a week-to-week -week basis. 
Um, and, and when we look at the history of the church, this is also something that is really evident. Very oftentimes we've seen churches that um, they have all the perfect doctrinal statements. They have the perfect explanation of what they believe. And, and everything that they aspire to, it's all written out perfectly. And yet, the actual life of the congregation, the actual life of the people who claim to be disciples of Jesus is often fruitless. Uh, it, it can be dry. It can be full of tension and disagreement and difficulty with other people around them. And so as Paul is finishing, he wants to put the spotlight on the context. What is the kind of life among believers that ministry must happen in? It, it, it is very important that doctrine is right. It's very important that teaching is right. The whole point of this letter is to correct misconceptions about who Jesus is. But as Paul is finishing, he wants to finish with this idea to show clearly that that if our doctrine is right, but our practice, but our dynamic is off, we're missing. We're missing a very essential piece. And when the church misses that, when the church, and very often it's very easy to miss that. It's very easy to miss the proper life, the proper dynamics of love and unity among the church. So some of the most common questions I think that we may face as we're trying to grow in Christianity, grow as disciples of Jesus um, relate to our role in the church. Um, maybe we may ask, uh, is my role in the church really that important? Um, I'm not as talented or gifted as that person or that person. I don't have a visible ministry position um, like those other people. Do I matter in the church? Um, yes, I've given my life to Jesus. Yes, I believe that he is Lord and Savior. But, but now that I'm a, a follower of Christ, what, what, is, what is the significance of my life now? How do I serve God? And is my way of serving God important compared to all the very visibly important roles that we see in the church? Some people who are doing other things that other people see and get praise. Uh, does, why, does, why does that person get to be up there? Oh, and why not me? I maybe have talents, I have gifts and abilities, but why do those people get to serve? This is often something that is a point of strife and disagreement in the church. Um, people may think that if I have the talent, if I have the ability, I need to be up there. Um, or maybe oftentimes the practical day-to-day -day grind of church life, the, the, the conflicts that arise between different people doing different ministries thinking maybe this is my ministry, I've been doing this for years, uh, I know what I'm doing, uh, these people don't need to interfere with what I'm doing. If only the people maybe would take the advice that I have for how they should do ministry, things would be better, but they're not listening to the things that I have. So these are practical things, maybe practical thoughts that may go through the, 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 the hearts of Christians on a weekly basis as we look at the nuts and bolts of church life. And when I speak of ministry, I want to emphasize right off the start, I'm not talking about uh, the fact that you maybe are paid by the church and you have an official position. When I speak of church ministry, I'm talking about the life and, and the giving and the labor of every single individual Christian. The ministry portrait that Paul paints here is specific people, but as we're going to see, not all these people were preachers, not all of them were teachers, not all of them were gifted orators. They had very different roles and places in this life. So true fruitful ministry in God's kingdom, true effective Christian life 
has a lot to do with the specific dynamics of life and relationship that exist in the church. And that's what we want to see today. As Paul is presenting us this ministry portrait, he wants us to see that true gospel ministry is the unified effort of the whole church, the whole body, living in humble submission to the one Lord who is over the whole life of the church. So, like I said, there's so many verses here, but as we're looking at the different verses, I want us to kind of highlight three core principles that stand out as we're looking at this story. And to me personally, it's been a surprising study because many, many times we, we get to the meat of, of, a, of a text we read when we read in Colossians or Ephesians. We're right in the center where he's talking about grace and salvation and how God forgives us. That's so awesome. But we tend to skip over these last sections. We're like, wow, gosh. Why is he spending 11 verses on greetings, 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 greetings? What's the significance of this text? What's the significance of this, this whole section? Why is it so long? 11 verses on people and names that we can't even pronounce. So as we're looking, I want to just highlight three big principles of ministry life that Paul is bringing to light as he is telling us these stories of people. First of all, there are no solo players in Christ's kingdom. True gospel ministry is deeply interconnected with the countless lives of people around. So in this lengthy section, he draws attention to 10 names, actually 11 names. There's, there's a lot of different people here in this picture that he is painting. And they're all very different people, and, and they're all from very different places, and they have different gifts and different abilities. And all of these people are in some way impacting the life of the Colossian church. So Paul is trying to show, look at all these different people, and they have a specific role in this whole project of serving you guys, the readers. These people, they comprise what's interesting, all kinds of different backgrounds. We see here that there's Jew and Gentile working together. We see here that there's men and women named. We also see here that there's a slave and there's free people. There's all sorts of different people from every class of society of that day, from every uh, background and every experience. No, it's not a unified kind of one type of team. The team is, it has a great variety in it. And their roles here are also diverse. If you read through the whole text, you find that they're all doing very different things. For example, um, Tychicus is a trusted fellow teacher of Paul. He, Paul is sending him as, as somebody who will teach and, and, dis, and explain and bring, explain and expand on the ideas in the book. But Onesimus, if you notice, is actually a person from the church at Colossae itself. And if you flip over and see the, the epistle to Philemon, you realize that there's a whole backstory behind this guy Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave and he was not a Christian and he was a slave of one of the people in the church, at Col uh, uh, the Colossian church. And Onesimus is coming back because, having run away from, Paul, from, his, uh, from his master, he somehow, in a crazy wild story that we don't know, but it must be amazing, we can ask him when we get to heaven, he runs into Paul in Rome, and he gets converted to Christianity, and he becomes a deep, uh, a deep friend and, and a member of Paul's team, and he's not a preacher. He's, he's, he doesn't have an official ministry position, but he's a great encouragement to Paul. Paul says he's, he's a dear brother, and I'm sending him back to you now to tell us of all the things that have taken place. 
So he's not even a preacher. We see here Luke was a physician. We see here uh, Nympha is likely a lady that was a widow who hosted the church at her home. So you see here that these people, some of them are showing hospitality. Some of them are just in prayer ministry. Some of them are encouraging Paul, just friends alongside him during this time. Some of them are preachers and teachers. Some of them are uh, working hard to spread the gospel around. So this team has huge variety. And the important thing to notice is that Paul is trying to highlight this diversity. Paul's trying to highlight and say, look, all these people that are surrounding me, they're part of this story, that I'm not just here, I'm not the main guy, I'm not the main um, player in the game. I think when we view Paul, you know, when we read the, our New Testament and when we hear the name of the Apostle Paul, he's kind of in our minds, maybe in our modern view, kind of one of the MVPs of the church history. He is, I mean, the Apostle Paul, like the great Apostle Paul, who took Christianity all over the Western world and went into the Greek cities and preached the gospel and started churches. Paul, this powerful, amazing man, he was gifted, he was intelligent, he was knowledgeable. We always see him as just standing alone, strong, brave, ready to take on the Greek world, um, the, to, to argue with the philosophers, to go into the temple and argue with the Pharisees and to tell them that Jesus is supreme. But when Paul gets down to it, when Paul starts telling his story to the church, he actually paints a very different picture. I think that if we imagined Paul today, maybe in our modern ministry world, um, living and serving in, in amidst the culture and the technology that we have today, we would probably imagine him as some massive ministry figure um, with a huge social media following, a big fancy website, maybe Apostle Paul Ministries, you know, this perfect uh, profile picture on his Facebook account with perfect hair and a dazzling smile and books translated into every language, just like the great Apostle Paul Ministries. Um, we, we live in a time when we are obsessed with the individual, the significance of the individual. And, and our social media culture hasn't helped with that. It's only amplified this idea that we want to elevate individuals. We want to elevate people with great ability, and we want to put our trust in them and their ability to change our lives, to make everything better for us. Not that any of those things in themselves are bad, having a ministry or having books translated to different languages or you know, having a good profile picture on Facebook. None of that is bad in and of itself, but the culture of, of celebrity worship has really, really penetrated not only the world around us, but the Christian world today. Uh, many Christians want to tie their life to an individual teacher, uh, John Piper or John MacArthur, and to read all his books and to depend on this one teacher who has changed my whole life. We have this tendency because we're not immune to the world around us. The, the assumptions of our culture, they, they seep in. We're part of the world that we're in. And churches are always looking for the perfect pastor that will make everything better, for the, wor the perfect worship leader, the perfect ministry leader that's going to make everything better, that will turn everything around. But in many ways, what we see in these 11 verses is completely opposite. It, 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 if you don't know what Facebook is, um, it's Paul's ministry portrait. But if, you're, if you do know what Facebook is, 
This is basically Paul's profile picture. And, and the amazing thing is that in this profile picture, Paul's face is one little face on the side corner there amongst a, a sea of smiling faces of all skin colors and genders. So it's a big team. And he puts himself as one little guy in the background. And actually, the only reason he mentions himself is at the very end, and it's when he asks for their prayer. He doesn't showcase himself. He doesn't put himself on display. He does the very opposite. Crowded sea of smiling faces, Tychicus, Aristarchus, Onesimus, Mark, Justice, Luke, Demas, Nympha. Look at all these people. That's what Paul is saying. He is showing that his ministry is not a solo operation. His ministry is deeply dependent on all these people who serve alongside him, who serve him, people that he needs. He needs their ministry too. He needed the churches. He needed the support of people right next to him, the encouragement, the prayer, just like every single one of us. That everything that he is doing, as significant as it is, because the Apostle Paul was important, very important, and yet, as he paints this backstory, he shows Look, everything that I'm doing, everything that I'm preaching and teaching, it only happens because I have all these amazing people in my life serving me and people that I serve alongside. And, and nothing could happen without this team of, of ministry relationships, of stories that are being woven together by Christ to accomplish the gospel purposes. If you've ever read um, any of J.R.R. Tolkien's books, one of the genius of his stories, the ability to craft stories, is this is kind of what he does. When you read The Lord of the Rings, for example, um, the, the, the challenging thing of that story, and probably one of the reasons why it's a classic in our you know, culture today and um, among Christians and theologians even, it's very hard to pinpoint who is the main character of the story. I mean, it's like, yeah, Frodo is important, but, but then there's this guy who, like, nothing would have happened if it wasn't for him. But then there's uh, this other person who also played a crucial role so it's like, it's very difficult. Who is the main character? Who is the hero? And uh, people, you know, Christians who analyze the story from a Christian perspective because Tolkien was deeply, you know, seeped in Christian theology. Uh, his whole worldview just gets put on display. They, they try to think, okay, where's the Christ figure in this story? And the funny thing is they can kind of see the Christ figure in almost any of the characters because the way that the story is woven is that he, he shows this, this amazing story with multiple threads of stories that are all woven to accomplish victory at the end against evil. And I think that's kind of what Paul is sort of doing here. He's showing us that, look, I'm writing this letter to you, and God has given me this revelation, and, and I want to teach you about Jesus. But I want you to know that I am not the star of the show, that this story that is being told to you about Christ and his gospel and the work of the gospel all around the world, it's many threads. It's many people in different places. It's different kinds of people with different gifts and different callings, and they all matter, and they're all woven together in this amazing, amazing gospel labor and gospel ministry. We are fellow workers in the kingdom. That's the key word that keeps getting repeated, repeated, repeated in the whole text. Fellow worker, fellow laborer, fellow worker. We all are working side by side in Christ's kingdom. We all need and we depend on each other. There are no solo players. There are no MVPs. Each of our lives in the church is a unique gift to the church. No matter ins how insignificant it may seem, Christ works his grace. Christ works his work through every single one of us in the way that he calls us. 
So true gospel ministry has no solo players. It is, it is a life of complicated, interconnected stories of grace that are working, that depend on each other, all of which are so significant. The second point that we see here, it's not just about what you do. Whoops, go back one point. There we go. True gospel ministry is a labor of love for the people of God. I think it's interesting how as he's starting this whole letter, or this whole section, uh, verses 7 through 9, the interesting thing that he says at the end of the whole letter, he says, now that I've written to you, now that, now that I've explained all this stuff about Jesus and his significance, I want you to know <clears throat> that I'm not done, that there's more to be told. There's so much more. I've only written you four short chapters, but I am sending you here two more guys from my team to come to you and to speak to you the rest. That it's not enough for me to just write you a letter and communicate the truth. I want to send these men, I want to send these precious people who are so close to my heart, I want to send them over to you, and they will tell you more. They will expand on these truths. They will teach you more, and they will share about our story of how this Jesus is working in our heart. So he sends two of his best guys back to live with the church and to share more and more of the blessings that Christ is working in their life. In other words, the content of the letter is only one part of the package. The other package are the guys who are carrying the letter. In many ways, maybe the letter is an excuse to get the guys over there to spend more time and to talk about Jesus and to share all the amazing things that Jesus is doing in Paul's life. He wants to send these people. He doesn't just want them to be instructed in content. He wants all this content about Jesus to come in a package of love, a personal package of love that says, brothers and sisters, you must hold to Jesus, but I'm telling you this as one who deeply loves you. He wants them to know that they are loved, that they are prayed for, and that, they want, that he wants them to be encouraged. Notice how he says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, speaking of Tychicus, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And then he, tells, he says, they will tell you everything that has taken place here. So it's amazing that the, the desire of Paul is not just, I'm the apostle, I am the, the, the smart guy, the theological giant, I know the gospel, you guys have got it wrong, you need to tweak your confession of faith here. You need to understand this, that you're, that you're wrong. Thank you, signed Paul. No, he sends this letter, and then he sends this whole section and says, I want you guys to know everything about me and my life, not because I'm amazing, but because Christ is working here too, and I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know that, for example, your, your fellow worker, Epaphras, is praying for you guys. And so he spends his whole time expanding and saying, look, Epaphras, who, the amazing backstory there, Epaphras is a pastor from one of the churches in Colossae. He comes to Paul, and he's with Paul learning and, and spending time and growing. But he says, look, Epaphras is laboring on your behalf. Epaphras is praying. You guys are hundred mi hundreds of miles away, but this guy, he's praying for you. I want you to know that. And he's so, so focused on communicating affection not just communicating content. He wants to communicate his heart. He wants to communicate love. He wants to communicate that these people matter deeply to him. Not only that, he is sharing how 
there's this love that exists that he has for the church. It also exists between this ministry team. He says, guys, look, this truth, this letter is coming to you from, from a group of people who are laboring in joy. We love what we do. We love each other. We love Christ, and he is working among us. And he just wants them to know this whole reality of love, this whole, this whole drive to serve and to build up that fills his heart and the hearts of the people around him. Notice even how he describes people. He says, Luke, the beloved physician. When he thinks of Luke, he can't just say, Luke, the doctor, or smart Luke. He says, Luke, the beloved physician. This man, I love him so much. Or don't forget Epaphras. He's praying for you guys. He is praying so hard for you guys. And his prayers, Paul says, "I I have confidence that his prayers are working so much more than anybody knows. And he's not even preaching a sermon. He's just praying for them. He's just praying in the background. So this is the basic mark of true gospel Christianity, that it's driven and consumed by love for people, that the tasks of ministry, the practical hands-on tasks that we are accomplishing can never be separated from the warmth of Christ's love. The moment that you have a disconnect between the love of Jesus for his people, and the things that you do in the church, whether it be things like cleaning or praying or helping set up coffee or running the sound booth, whatever we do in the church, whatever, we are, whatever place we hold in the church, if we are separating the love of Christ from the tasks of ministry, we have a major problem right away. Unfortunately, that's actually often how it happens in the church, that, that we get focused, we get into our, our, our rhythms, our routines, our traditions, and, and the tasks of ministry become the defining and satisfying thing rather than the people that we are serving around us. Churches oftentimes argue over the most uh, ridiculous things. I was, I j- just for fun, was, as I was preparing, I just typed in most ridiculous reasons for church splits and... There's, been, there's some amazing stories out there. Churches splitting over the length of the worship pastor's beard or the color of the chairs or the type of clock that is hanging in the sanctuary. Just absurd fights, and, and we laugh at that. But I think that when we look at our own hearts and when we look at our own place in the church and our life among the people around us, very oftentimes we get so tied up with our tasks, the things that make us feel uh, like we mean something, that we are significant here, that people easily become a hindrance, an annoyance in the things that we do. People become a roadblock. People become something that's in the way, something that weighs us down. Why do we do that? Why, why do we fall into these kind of uh, obvious mistakes that the church is a labor of love, and yet very often churches have frictions on, on, on the ground on the nuts and bolts of basic ministry life, friction on the dumbest little things. Why do we do that? Because when our hearts are not full of this Christ that is presented in this whole epistle, when our, Christ, when our, when our hearts are not satisfied by this reality that, that my satisfaction and my completeness comes from the fact that this Jesus is Lord of the universe and he has saved me, that he loves me and that he accepts me. And if my heart is not full of that reality, that fact, that truth that satisfies me, 
then I will seek for satisfaction and redemption in religious activity. Uh, that, that's when ministries become a savior, uh, when, when, our, when our place in the church becomes the source of significance for us, when people's affirmation and people's feedback have to be so positive because, because we depend on our ministries or our tasks or the affirmation of the people around us to make us feel significant and meaningful. But Paul says here, Paul's whole heart here is just, ministry is a labor of love. It is all about the people. And that's only possible when our hearts are captivated by Christ, who is over all things. It's only possible when we see the Christ who leads the church. So it's not just about the tasks. It's, it's, it's the labor of love that moves true ministry. To be in the church of Christ is to be in covenantal relationship with his people. That's the very essence. Jesus said that they will know that you're my disciples by the love that exists among you guys. Christian ministry, no matter what kind of ministry it is, no matter how practical and simple it may seem in the background, maybe unnoticeable, Christian ministry in all of its forms is personal. It's deeply personal. It is about the people around us. It is about the people because every single other brother or sister in Christ that we come into contact with, that we cross paths with, is another person in whom grace is real, in whom Christ is working salvation. It's another person with whom we can share the joy of Jesus and the gospel, even if we're doing it while making coffee for the church or vacuuming the church building after it's done. In all those moments, those are all opportunities to share and delight in the Savior, not to delight in our significance and our accomplishments. So we can't be tied to church ministry without being tied to people. It's the people that matter. It's the people that Christ has placed. It's the people that Christ bled for, not the building, not the things that we do. And that's why, actually, when, when your heart is so satisfied, when you're just moved by love, when Christ has you full, you can almost do any ministry. Like, people, people whose hearts are full and they just want to give, They'll do anything because anything is an opportunity to cross paths with Christians and to share the grace of God. And they're up for any job because it's all an amazing opportunity to take part in God's kingdom. So true ministry is not just what you do. It's a labor of love that captivates our hearts. And number three, that there are no assistant coaches in Christ's ministry team. That Christ is the only one who is the Lord over all of us, over every ministry, every life, every church. One of my favorite lines in this whole passage is verse 17. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. On the one hand, when I, when I read that first time, I was like, wow, that's a little harsh. I mean, like, this letter is being, obviously, it's being read to the whole church in front of everybody. And as Paul is closing up, as Paul is wrapping up, the final conclusion stamp that he places there is he calls out this one guy and he points a finger and says, everybody, by the way, make sure that this guy, Archippus, fulfills the ministry that he has received in the Lord. Isn't that likely to make him very uncomfortable? Isn't that likely to put him on display and to put pressure on him? And maybe he's sitting there 
sweating bullets, like, oh my gosh, now everybody's going to be watching me. We actually, when we do the digging, we don't really know who this Archippus guy is. We just, he doesn't show up anywhere in the New Testament again. We don't know what his ministry was. So why does Paul call him out like that? Why does, why does Paul do that? That's, isn't that kind of weird? And why is it actually a fitting capstone to the whole section and to the whole letter, actually? Well, because in this exhortation, in this moment where he calls this one guy out and he calls him to faithfulness, he's not actually calling the one guy out. He's actually pointing all the eyes of all the listeners of the whole church upwards to the overarching reality of the one Lord who is over all of us. The one Jesus who commissions every single one of us unto ministry. Notice how he says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Paul is not wielding his personal authority here. He is not saying, by the way, I, Paul, the Apostle Paul, I want to commission you. Don't screw this up, Archippus. You need to get this right. Paul is not using his authority at all. He is saying, brother, fulfill the ministry that Jesus himself has given you. This is a really important exhortation because if we're looking at the things that we've talked about earlier, if we're looking at this ministry portrait of complicated relationships and love, we start to realize, man, that's, that's a challenge. How do we keep it all together? How do, how do we live this way? How can we live and labor? How can we always be open with full hearts? How can we be serving and not demanding any return? How can we be like Paul and his team? They're so amazing. We can't ever be like that. We're just average Christians. We're not as strong and spiritual. These are the best of the best. Uh, and that, that's not really us. How can we measure up to that standard of ministry life like that? How do we keep it together? As Paul points that finger at Archippus, he's actually pointing the finger at all of us when he says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. How do we keep it all together? How do we stay balanced in our life as a community? Because it's complicated. Because we're all sinners. We're all selfish. We all struggle. We all stumble. We all say and do things that we wish we didn't do. We all jeopardize relationships and we say things that hurt other people. The church is a mess. How do we balance it? How do we keep it all together? Paul, at the end of the whole thing, at the end of this whole ministry portrait, says Christ is the Lord over the whole church. He is the head of the church. He is the one who bought it with his blood. He is the one and only source. He is the one who commissions every single one of us. He is the one and only coach. There's no, there's no intermediaries. There's no pope who stands between the church and God. It's just Jesus and his church. And Jesus works in the church, and Jesus gifts each and every single one of us in unique ways. He is the Lord. And if we uh, zoom past, and he's kind of coming full circle in this, in this little exhortation. He's coming full circle to the, to the glory of all the things he's talked about in the whole epistle, that Jesus is the Lord. He is the one who has saved us. He is the one who, has, who holds the universe together, chapter 1. He is the only one who commissions us in ministry. He is the one who 
in whom all of God's blessings are present. He is the one who died for us when we were still sinners. He is the one who has been carefully and masterfully crafting the story of salvation since Genesis 3. He is the Lord who is writing the story. The whole church has its life from the head, from Christ. He is the one who calls every single one of us into life in his community. It's not the pope, it's not the pastors, the elders. Christ, by his grace, works in every single one of us. And in many ways, that's a much higher responsibility than any human being can give us. That's a greater pressure. The Lord of the universe, when he saves you, he saves you into a life of ministry, a life of giving, loving, building others up in the gospel. And the Lord of the universe is watching. And at the same time, this is the Lord who loves you, who stands for you, who intercedes for your sins, who forgives you and restores you every single day. See to it that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So no matter how great the Apostle Paul is, no matter how great St. Augustine or Martin Luther or John Calvin or Spurgeon or R.C. Sproul or John MacArthur or Jeremy Pickens is, we are all simply, simply teammates communicating a message from the one coach. Sure, we all have different roles in the life. We, some of us are gifted like this, and some of us are gifted like this. But, but there's only one Lord, one coach, and he is the one who makes the whole thing meaningful. He is the one that makes every single one of us a significant piece in the story. And he is the one that we all answer to. See to it that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. So, true gospel ministry is this unified effort. Um, it is a unified effort by the whole church, by the whole body. It's a complicated effort. It's a messy effort. There's no one MVP. It's all driven by love, and it only happens because we all see Christ, who is the Lord of it all. And a guy like Archippus can take it. He can take that kind of exhortation because at the end of the day, Paul is not actually putting Archippus in front of the church. He's putting him in front of the Lord, who is watching. And he's putting all of us on that same display. We all stand before him, and we all get to participate in this amazing life, this amazing story of the gospel unfolding in the world around us. And the only reason it's possible, the only way we hold it all together is Jesus. Jesus, the one who is the Lord in this whole epistle. Only because of Jesus, we can realize that no matter how small our labor may seem to other people, we still play a significant and critical role in God's amazing story. Only in Jesus can we live lives of total giving, totally full, satisfied giving, because we don't depend on other people's affirmation, because we have discovered that the Lord of the universe loves us, and that gives us freedom. So as, 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 the, as he's wrapping up, as we're wrapping this whole thing up, I think that's the question that we want to ask ourselves. Um, have we been captivated by the vision of Christ that stands at the center of this amazing little postcard, this letter that Paul is sending? Do we see that this amazing work that we are part of as, as average Christians tucked away in Whatcom County, 
small town, Ferndale or Bellingham or whatever you're from, that we're part of the work of Christ, in, who is Lord of the universe, Christ who is spreading his gospel, which is spreading through each, every single one of us, Christ who brings us in here together, Christ who gives us life every single day. He sends needs into our life. He sends people that we can serve. He sends opportunities for ministry. It's all from him, and it's all for him. And it's only when we are captivated by the vision of this risen Lord that we can live freely and serve and, and, and be that, that gospel ministry team that he is crafting. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We submit to you. We are humbled, Lord, by, by the wisdom and the wonder of your story, Lord. It's, it's amazing to see how through the centuries, through thousands of years of civilization and history, you are working in the hearts of individuals, that you are drawing us all together, us individualistic, selfish sinners. You are drawing us together into a, a beautiful community. And we all come with different baggage. We all come with different struggles, weaknesses. And we're not perfect, Lord, but it's amazing to see how you bring this whole thing together, that you are the Lord of the church, that you are the one who loves us, that you are the one who forgives, that you are the one who cleanses, that you are the one who gives us this grace to carry on every single day, Lord. Help us to be satisfied in you alone. Help us to see your glory as we are living our lives in the mundane day-to-day, -day, Monday through Friday grind. Help us to see that you are the Lord who, who commissions all the little tasks, all the little prayer needs, all the little inconveniences of people, your people, that we get to cross paths with on a weekly basis, Lord. Help us to see that we are all part of one gospel ministry team, Lord. Help us to see that, that you are working an amazing thing, that we are part of it, and that at the end of the day, when we look back, when you are coming back and you are making all things new, Lord, we will see that those little significant things that maybe nobody noticed that we did for your kingdom, out of love for you and out of love for your people, Lord, that you are using every detail of our lives to build up others and to build your kingdom, Lord. Thank you for this text. Thank you for the Apostle Paul, the man who was not an MVP, the man that you used full of grace to give us these amazing words, this amazing epistle to the Colossians, Lord, and thank you for this church, for these people today, Lord. May you be glorified, Lord, as we are seeking to live faithfully every day for your glory. Amen.